Revolution is not being televised, but it is being digitized right here on Digital Village. On 90.7 FM KPFK. I'm Rick Allen. And I'm Brittany Gallagher. On Digital Village, we're bringing you stories about the internet and technology and how they're shaping culture and changing every aspect of our lives. How it's glorious and awe-inspiring, but can also have a dark side and maybe how we can prevent some of its abuses. In this episode, we have two stories about entertainment in quarantine. One is about a story-based scavenger hunt called Ada and the Lost Horizon. Author Lila Sales is here to talk about the story she and the world are creating. Mandy Roman is also back on the show to talk about the game that is taking gamers and non-gamers alike by storm, Animal Crossing. It's been explosive how many people have picked it up. It's very difficult to actually get a physical copy of the game. It's sold out everywhere, in addition to Switches being sold out everywhere, all because of Animal Crossing. On its own, it is a very popular title, and it was going to sell well no matter what, but it just came at such a precise, perfect time with everyone being at home and playing on their handheld consoles and wanting to play something very chill and happy. Animal Crossing is becoming a place for art, for conferences, and much more that Mandy will talk about in a bit. But first, the new modalities Lydia Lawrenson is here. The new modality is a new publication on experiments and culture. Lydia is in conversation with Sanungo Akpem, talking about the internet, culture, and UI design. This is Lydia Lawrenson with The New Modality. I'm here with Sonongo Akpem. Sonongo has a lot of really cool specialties. He works on cross-cultural digital communication. He has done a lot of amazing art, often retelling stories from his African heritage from Nigeria. And uh, he also has a, done a lot of really cool work in media and publishing. Do you want to introduce yourself, Sonongo? What did I miss? covered it all. I am a designer and an illustrator, um, currently based in New York, and for many years have been exploring what the web can do. The illustrations and the storytelling that you mentioned before is Pixel Fable, which is a project that just allows me to take some of those older Nigerian fairy tales and old stories and put them online and just make them interactive in a way that the web is most powerful at. And uh, yeah, also something that just happened recently, which I'm super uh, excited about and happy to share, is the publication of my first book, which is Cross-Cultural Design, which really takes a stab at what it means for designers, uh, interact designers specifically, as we work on the web and as the web expands into more cultures and countries than we may have traditionally been aware of. So yeah, big things on this end anyway. Yeah, that's awesome. Tell us more about the book. What are some of the top lessons you learned while writing it and some of the things that you really wanted to make sure you get across to the audience. Team at A Book Apart were continued to be very amazing. And so they were able to to guide me through what was essentially a pile of very random disparate ideas at first and helped to to really guide that into something that made sense. And I think through the, the research that I was doing and the content explorations and examples and so on, I found first that one of the easiest ways to tell the story of you know, cross-cultural design, especially to designers, to you know, content strategists and technologists and so on, is to really lead with the stories. And so I tried to find anecdotes that illustrated 
you know, what it was that the challenge is and maybe some ways that other people have, have taken up that challenge instead of just kind of like going through the step-by-step process first A and then B, which is super boring. And I think the other thing was just that human civilization is just very, very interesting in general, like in and of itself, all of the different ways that we communicate with each other, that we put together ideas, um, that we fight about things is just like, there's infinite variability in so much of what we do in our languages. And uh, it was just very fun to ask the question about what that means when you put all of that stuff online. Again, as a quick example, there are some cultures that use ordinal directions. So they will just say, go north, south, east, west, um, instead of go left, go right. And so what does it mean when you have a, a slideshow or you ask somebody to scroll down onto a page if you're writing that content for that particular culture's language? Would you still use the phrase down or would you have to say south instead of down on a scroll link or something like that? So those types of things I find to be very fascinating. What was your conclusion about the down versus south question? <laughs> no conclusion at all. I haven't done enough research uh, to know exactly what the best path would be. One thing to consider is that very often because of the way that the web is, there are certain patterns which get set quite early on. The one that we're all familiar with, of course, is search being in the top right of a page. It's very difficult to break those. Another one would be the play icons that we see on like video interfaces, YouTube and so on. Even in cultures where it's a right to left reading experience, so in Arabic, for example, you'll almost see the play interfaces, the video interfaces, use a left to right UI. But the reason is that it's just such a set at this point that like everybody gets it and you don't need to adapt your interface to, um, to read right to left. So those types of things like the internet just take care of it. Cool. Yeah. I did a lot of research on cross-cultural digital media and design and social media years ago, like several years ago. I got really interested in that topic. And I remember there were some things that I found that were related to some of the things that you've been mentioning. Like I had to pull together a lot of very disparate studies. This may have been your experience as well, just trying to track what we even know about the cross-cultural internet. But one thing, for example, the one culture setting the standards side, I remember finding some evidence, but someone had done a study around the time that I was doing this research that found that, so there's this dimension on which you can measure communication in a culture, which is direct or indirect. So, and it's a little bit intuitive. You can think of it like the US and Israel are very direct communication cultures. A lot of Asian cultures are more indirect and often African cultures as well. And one of the things this study found was they were looking at website structure and how how readable it was for Google. And they found that people from direct communication cultures had a much easier, more intuitive time making websites that were easy for Google to read and index, which I thought was so interesting at the time because this translates in, this has a lot of effects. It translates into a lot of impact, especially if you're trying to get your website listed on Google, right? It really matters if you have an intuitive sense of what is going to be readable by Google. And in a lot of cases, people might not even know that they are making a website that's going to be more easily indexed by the biggest search engine on the internet, right? They're just building a website the way that makes sense for them. But the culture that they come from has a huge impact on this other dimension of its searchability. 
really interesting that you say that this is something that I, I talk about quite explicitly in cross-cultural design is the influence of those types of cultural dimensions on the ways that we design. The guy who pioneered, for the most part, this idea of what these cultural dimensions are was Geert Hofstede, and I think he was a, a researcher at IBM for many years, and so built the national cultural dimensions model where different cultures would be put on what the power distance was, so like the difference between regular people and powerful people, or um, individualism versus collectivism, uncertainty avoidance, like that sort of thing. And so the question that I tried to answer in this is, although that's great research in and of itself, it's interesting, what does it mean for the designer? And uh, yeah, I think you're right, like the ways that we structure our sites, and if you're appealing to a more collectivist society, so you use phrases like we, and you have more pictures of people and so on, or of groups of people may work for the audience. I don't necessarily know what that means when it's getting indexed. One specific thing, just in relation to that, that is interesting to me. When I was quite young, my dad, who's Nigerian through and through, and he went to seminary um, in the US. And uh, he was saying that when he started at school, he would often get quite negative marks from his teachers in his grades, how he interacted with uh, them and with other um, students. And it wasn't, I think, until he had a professor who had also lived in Nigeria. So it was a, a white missionary who had lived in Nigeria for some time and then came back to Calvin College in Michigan. And I think was speaking to my dad and made the observation that in Tiv culture, so I'm Tiv, which is one of the tribes in Nigeria, it's quite disrespectful to look people in the eye. And usually when conversation happens, people are not looking at each other at all. They're staring in different directions. They could even be sitting back to back. But it's still a very personable and interesting conversation. He was performing that same thing with other people in class in the U.S. And that was perceived to be very off standish or whatever, like he wasn't interested. So that's, of course, not to do with the Internet at all. But it's very interesting how different you know, cultural norms can be perceived in different ways. And I think it only gets magnified when technology gets involved. Yeah, right. Cultural norms at scale, building the internet. The idea that there's been, I think, a lot of writing recently about design systems. And uh, people, of course, are super gung-ho about what it means to systematize your buttons and your UI and how you structure content. But now people are saying, well, why is it that I can never truly get a sense of what the design system is? And every time I look at it, it seems to shift and I'm only ever getting a piece of it. And I think it's just because these things, they're too big. And every time we see it, it's a different angle. Every time we ask a question about how content is structured in this part, we necessarily miss how it's structured in another part. And the internet is like outpacing our ability to to gain a whole picture. So I find it fascinating. Yeah, super interesting. This is Sanango Akpem. What is your Twitter handle? It's Sanango, S-E-N-O-N-G-O. You can find me there. Any questions that people have about the book or just you know, design in general, I'm, I'm always available. That was Lydia Lawrenson of The New Modality in conversation with Sanungo Akpem talking about his book, Cross-Cultural Design. You can find out more what Lydia and The New Modality are up to on Twitter at New Modality. Let's remind everyone that you're listening to Digital Village on 90.7 FM KPFK. Animal Crossing 
is not a new game, but it is a new version for the Nintendo Switch. And it's came out, I guess, kind of at the right time. The exact right time. Right as people were experiencing and starting with social distancing and isolating at home. And there's just a lot of really interesting stuff that's happening with Animal Crossing. I'm joined by Geeky Glamorous, aka Mandy Roman, and she's going to tell us a little bit about what's going on in Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing has kind of taken the gaming world and non-gaming world. I think people that weren't even, quote, gamers, if you will, are also picking up this game because it's somewhat therapeutic. It's really easy to pick up. You can just log in for like a half hour to an hour and kind of get a few things done and then log off for the day and not feel any sort of pressure. There's no really win condition to Animal Crossing. Could you talk about Animal Crossing and what Animal Crossing is and how it works? Animal Crossing is a very simple game where you have an avatar that is you. You are a resident of an island that you come in and there's nothing on that island when you begin the game. And progressively as the game goes, you collect items to sell, you earn money, you upgrade a house on the island, and then uh, different villagers will move onto your island. Obviously, the better your island starts to look. And uh, you just try to collect different types of furniture and you can do gardening, fishing collect seashells. It's very simple, but yet quite addictive. And the music's great. It's just really soothing and kind of therapeutic. And there's, like I said, there's no really win condition to the game. I guess winning would just be upgrading your house to as many floors as you can. You are constantly in debt to a character named Tom Nook, who is in charge of basically the upgrades to your home. So you can keep paying him more and more. The currency is called bells to upgrade your home and do some things around the island to make it look nicer. You can have friends visit your island. You can visit their island. It's got kind of this social aspect to it. But again, at its core, it is just a very simple collectibles game where you're trying to build out uh, an entire island. Right. So Animal Crossing is really, as you said, blown up. What are some interesting things that you're seeing in the game? All these different companies and brands have really gotten into the Animal Crossing craze. There's a lot of customization options within the game, which is you can create custom clothes or works of art. And so there's a lot of artists coming into the games and like recreating their art in a pixelated version for Animal Crossing. And then you can hang that art in your house within the game. So this has become so much of a craze that actually the Metropolitan Museum of Arts, as well as the Getty Museum, have actually made their entire library of just artwork available within Animal Crossing, which is so wild to me. You can go onto the Mets website and there's a little share button that you'd normally use to share out onto social media. But now there's a little leaf icon, which represents Animal Crossing, and it will generate the QR code, which is the code that you need to actually get the piece of art within the game. Uh, so now people are hanging, you know, these classic works of art from the Met and Getty in their homes in Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing came out March 20th which is a little over a month ago. Do you know if that was the plan for the Met and the Getty to do that? Or is this something that spun out of people being stuck at home? I absolutely think it has spun out from people being at home and how overwhelmingly crazy the hype around this game been explosive how many people have picked it up. It's very difficult to actually get a physical copy of the game. It's sold out everywhere. In addition to Switches being sold out everywhere, all because of Animal Crossing. On its own, it is a very popular title and it was going to sell well no matter what, but it just came at such a precise, perfect time with everyone being at home and playing on their handheld consoles and wanting to play something very chill and happy. And then 
actually a friend of mine helped put together the Getty art, making that available to people to download. And it just came out of people getting really creative with custom artwork within the game. So it wasn't, I think, part of their plan from the get go. Not only are artists coming into <laughs> Animal Crossing, <laughs> so something we can't really do right now and not sure when we can do again is conferences. So has there been conferences held in Animal Crossing? Actually, yes. The first story I saw was there is actually a Japanese company that was trying to operate and actually work within Animal Crossing together. And they would sit their little avatars, you know, around a table <laughs> with laptops. <laughs> and actually, I've, I'm sure that this particular conference, the DevOps conference, was inspired by by that. So what they did was they made a conference style room within the game. And then the speakers for the conference put their avatar behind a podium. And then within Zoom, they actually did present their particular topics around development. So they had a Twitch stream. This happened on April 30th, where you could watch the Twitch stream and there is a feed of the Zoom screen of the actual information that was being shared. And then you would see the little speaker <laughs> in Animal Crossing next to it presenting. So it was it was quite adorable yeah people used to there was a, a craze too with second life like when second life first came out with like hosting conferences and things like that in second life it's just this is now a much, I would say, cuter version of that. Much cuter. I actually had a college professor uh, teach one of his courses within Second Life, believe it or not. <laughs> and you had to create an account and go sit in his class. Huh. Yeah, see, maybe we'll find soon that teachers will be using Animal Crossing to try to teach some students. <laughs> it might incentivize, might get kids more want to participate and learn. Who knows? What about the secondary economy that's developing in Animal Crossing? I mean, you know, speaking to just the, the craze of Animal Crossing 2, there's also this secondary economy that has developed around the game and actually virtual items from within the game. So there are neighbors, they're called villagers within Animal Crossing that basically move to your island and you want to collect villagers that you have an affinity for, rather because they're cute, they have a fun personality, what have you. And when a Animal Crossing game called Happy Home Designer came out, there were actual cards similar to the Amiibo figurines that you can use with Nintendo games to access content you normally wouldn't be able to access. And you scan it with your Switch and it will give you access to whatever content is on that card. So there are villagers on these cards and people are now selling those cards, which really only had a value of a couple dollars previously, now for hundreds of dollars on sites like eBay, where people want that very elusive, exclusive neighbor that they otherwise couldn't get. Right. It's the virtual toilet paper, if you will. <laughs> I would say I am a huge fan and advocate for Animal Crossing, and I think it's a great game for gamers and non-gamers alike. And it's really easy to pick up and play for all ages. And I think it's very wholesome and the perfect game to play during this crazy, crazy timeline. That was at Geeky Glamorous, aka Mandy Roman, giving us the download on the game Animal Crossing for the Nintendo Switch. Let's remind everyone that you're listening to Digital Village here on independent listener-sponsored radio, 90.7 FM, KPFK. In the last part of the show, Lila Sales is here. She's a young adult and middle grade author and the creator of the interactive storytelling game Ada and the Lost Horizon. What is the origin story of Ada and the Lost Horizon? How long were you thinking about this? What is the path that got you to, to actually do this? I started thinking about it maybe a few days, maybe a week or so into lockdown, just because I was feeling really down. Usually I write 
books for kids. That's my career. But I just wasn't really feel like I didn't have the focus to be writing a book. The future seems so uncertain. You know, when you write a book, it's going to be a solid year, maybe two years until it comes out into the world. And I was like, I don't even know what the world's going to look like in a week, let alone a year. And I was just feeling pretty isolated from everybody as I think we all were. So I started trying to figure out what a creative storytelling project would look like that was writing and storytelling, because that's what I do, but that had a more immediate interaction with readers. And that created a community. And that gave me like something to look forward to every day. And that gave people who were participating in it something to look forward to every day. So I brainstormed a bunch of different ways. And I came up with the idea for Ada. Without spoilers, could you tell us a little bit about the story of Ada and the Lost Horizon? The story starts out, she wakes up and she finds that her little brother has disappeared during the night. And the only clue as to his whereabouts is a ransom note. Uh, So the first task that I had people do was to create this ransom note. And the ransom note then provided some information about why he was taken, where he went, and that sets into motion what the rest of the story is. So the way that it works is every day, I'll write a short scene, you know, maybe 500 words, something like that, and it will end with what the next task is. And through doing these challenges, people have actually created the story and created the world that Ada is taking place in. What are some examples of what people are creating? There's so much good stuff. The Ransom Note started it out, and that was great. I had people construct a like a building or a structure entirely out of books. I had people figure out a bribe. People made shrines in their houses to all sorts of different things. People designed and decorated vehicles. The task today is to record some sort of song. I always try and give challenges that are really open-ended so you can interpret them in any way that anyone of any age could complete that could be completed not in front of your computer screen and that can of course be created by yourself in the confines of your own home how long is this story do you actually have an outline what's your process for this i have absolutely no outline at all everything that happens is determined by what the players give me i had some ideas and then players gave me things that didn't work with those and i scrapped them So in a way, there's something really liberating about it that's different from writing a novel where like when I'm not writing it, I don't spend a lot of time planning it because there's no use to planning or outlining or anything. It's all going to depend on what people give me. And a lot of the ideas that they have are a lot more creative than what I'd come up with anyway. It's definitely a challenge sometimes to, it's like I I tend to be very logic focused in my normal writing and trying to plant seeds for things that will come to fruition later and make sure all the scenes flow together naturally and stuff like that. Being able to do that even when I don't know where the story's going and even when I can't go back to the beginning and add in little hints for things that are to come is a new challenge for me, but it's cool. Do you have a point with which you think you would end it or how that, how that would work? I I think I'll end it at the point that people no longer really have the bandwidth for it. I think it makes sense right now when we are all stuck inside and everybody, particularly kids, but all of us, I think are looking for things to do that aren't just staring at our screens and reading depressing news and scrolling endlessly. Hopefully there will come a point where people are more able to go out into the world and do some of the things that they used to love doing. And maybe at that point, we'll find this game less necessary. And at that point, I would, I would probably wind it down.
how do people become part of the story? What should they do? Where should they go? Yeah, becoming part of it is super easy. If you want, you can go back and read things that have already happened. It's like I said, the story each day is really short, but also you don't have to. You can just start in on any day, see what the challenge that day is. And if it's something you feel like doing, just do it. So you can find it either by following me on Instagram or Twitter. It's at Lila Sales Books, or you can just look at the hashtag Ada and the Lost Horizon, and it'll show you all the entries that have been done so far, and then every part that's been written in the story, and like which entry has been deemed the sort of quote unquote winner, the foundation for what's going to happen next in the story. I hope more people will play, and even if you don't want to play, like looking through at the entries that are out there is really fun. Just seeing like all the creative stuff that people have come up with is really inspiring. That was author Lila Sales on the interactive game Ada and the Lost Horizon. We've covered a lot this episode, cultural UI design and the internet with the new modalities Lydia Lawrenson and Sanungo Akpen. The game taking the world by storm, Animal Crossing, where on your little island, you can create a world and invite your friends over, look at a meteor shower, maybe some art, or even have a conference, and how it's become a way for a lot of people to manage quarantine. Another story we didn't get to cover, but is definitely worth a mention, in some good internet news for nonprofits and NGOs, ICANN announced that they rejected Ethos Capital's plan to take the .org domain name registry into a for-profit entity. This is a pretty big deal. Per the EFF, this is an important victory that recognizes the registry's long legacy as a mission-based, non-for-profit entity, protecting the interests of thousands of organizations and the people they serve. So, yay for some small victories. That's it for Digital Village. We'll get through this. KPFK is a 100% listener-sponsored. And here on Digital Village, we bring you hard-hitting stories like voting machines and election 2020 with Rick Allen and Brad Friedman, and stories around combating climate change, how to protect yourself online, and so much more. We need your support, and you can donate now and keep glorious, independent, listener-sponsor radio going at KPFK. Just go to kpfk.org forward slash pledge. I'm Brittany Gallagher at In a Quantum World. You can hear this episode again by subscribing to our podcast or going to kpfk.org. Click audio archives and search for Digital Village. You can follow us on all things social using at Digital V Radio or at digitalvillage.org. A special thank you to regular guest Mandy Roman and contributor Lydia Lawrenson. Thanks for listening to Digital Village. I'm Rick Allen and we'll we'll see see you online. online.